Good morning, friends. It's good to be together today. Welcome to Embrace on this beautiful day. We got past our rain yesterday. Now we can have some good weather. My name is John, and I am the lead pastor here at the church. And I am excited to be leading you in worship this morning. We've got some good music planned. There's kind of a, a theme to what we're doing this morning. We, we're talking about really our connection to Jesus and how if we stay connected to Jesus, that gives us the strength and the ability and, and really the love to reach out and give to others. And so we get filled up by Jesus and then we pour out on others is what we're really focusing on through our music this morning. And so we're going to begin our worship with a fun song that I used to sing back in my high school days. And uh, so hopefully we can pull this off. So everybody stand together.
the king sets my feet on a firm foundation that will not not be the king sets my feet on a firm foundation that will not not be moved though the world it moves like mad you O oh Lord are faithful Chasing though the world, though the world it moves like mad, you, O Lord, are faithful. Jesus, you, you will not, not be changed. Take a moment to remember who God is and who I am. There you go, lifting my load again. There you go, lifting my load again. Sing that again. Take a moment to remember who God is and who I am. There you go, lifting my load again. Take a moment to remember who God is and who I am. There you go, lifting my load again. There you go, lifting my load again. No longer am I held by the yoke of this world. I come up under the yoke of Jesus. Yoke is easy, his burden is so light. No longer am I held by the yoke of this world. I come up under the yoke of Jesus. His yoke is easy, his burden is so light. His burden is so light. Just sing, take a moment to remember. Take a moment to remember. Who God is and who I am, there you go, lifting my load again. Take a moment to remember who God is and who I am, there you go, lifting my load again. There 
you go, lifting my load again. No longer, no longer am I held by the yoke of this world. I come up under the yoke of Jesus. His yoke is easy, his burden is so light. No longer am I held by the yoke of this world. I come up under the yoke of Jesus. His yoke is easy, his burden is so light. His burden is so light. Sing, you're lifting my load. 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 No longer am I held by the yoke of this world. I come up under the yoke of Jesus. His yoke is easy. His burden is so light. No longer am I held by the yoke of this world. I come up under the yoke of Jesus. His yoke is easy. His burden is so light. His burden is so light. So your love carries. Your love carries. Your love carries me through all the valleys and the darkest places. Your love carries. Your love carries me through all the valleys and the darkest places. Your love carries. Your love carries me through all the valleys and the darkest places your love carries your love carries me through all the valleys and the darkest places take a moment to remember who God is and who I am there you go, lifting my load again. Take a moment to remember who God is and who I am. There you go, lifting my load again. There you go, lifting my load again.
on our own terms. God will heal our wounds. God will heal our wounds. If we stop loving on our own terms, grace will lead us home. Grace will lead us
stop loving on our own terms. God will heal our wounds. God will heal our wounds. If we stop loving on our own terms, grace will lead us home. with me. your heads with me. God, we thank you so much for your grace, for the way that you bear with us, the way that you offer forgiveness when we really mess up. God, we confess to you this morning that we have been selfish, we've been arrogant, we've been prideful, we've turned a blind eye to those around us who need your love. We confess to you, God, that we've not even taken good care of ourselves. We've not been able to love ourselves. And God, we just need you desperately. God, we can't do this without you. 
Lord, the world seems to be falling apart all around us. The world is moving like mad as we sang earlier. But this morning we want to affirm that you are faithful. That God, you are good. That when everything seems to be changing all around us, Lord, that you are steadfast. That you are there. That you are walking with us through this journey. That you are a firm shoulder that we can lean on. That you've got strong arms to carry us when we need it. That you're strong enough to fight off all the enemies and all the things that come our way, Lord. We put that into your hands. Lord, we need you desperately. I pray this morning you would help us to wake up, to open our eyes. To open our eyes both to the horror and the hope. The things of this world that are broken and messed up that we choose to look away from, help us to open our eyes and to see them. But also, Lord, help us to open our eyes to see the hope and the joy and the peace and the goodness and the blessing that is there for us, that's waiting for us. If we choose to walk the path that you've laid out before us, help us to have courage, Lord, to take that next step this morning that we need to take. Each and every one of us, speak to us this morning. Help us to hear your voice. Help us, Lord, to be reminded that we are steadfast in you, that we are, that we are strong in you. And Lord, help us to never grow selfish, but to be willing and, and just experience the joy of sharing that love and that, that trust and that strength with others as well that you have given us. I pray we would be that never, that stream that never stops moving, that stream, that ever-flowing stream that continues to pour out as we are fed, pour out as we are fed. Lord, I pray we could get in that cycle this morning. We could get in your flow this morning. We could walk in your flow this week. That We would feel lighter, that we would feel more alive, more inspired as we leave this place. Lord, we need you. We need you. I pray over every person in this room today that, God, they would feel your touch, they would hear your voice. And they would know what it is you're leading them to this morning. And they would also know who they are this morning. They would hear that promise, that affirmation from you, that they are your children. That we are your children. And with you, Lord, we are strong. Pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen. Amen. Y'all may have a seat. It's really good to, to spend some time worshiping. I feel like the words from Scripture were preaching to me this morning and encouraging me and also challenging me um, as we spend some time together. Um, what we're going to do now is something that, uh, as Tanya says, it's her favorite part of the service. For others, for others, it may be your least favorite part of the service. If that's you, I'm sorry. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment just to share with one another just for a couple of minutes and so what I'd love for you to do is find a, a little group of maybe three or four people, five people, and everybody just introduce yourself. Um, if you see someone sitting alone, invite them over or go to them. Uh, make sure you reach out to someone if you see them sitting there all by themselves. Make sure you introduce yourself. And then we're going to share our gratitude, so something we're grateful for this morning. And then also, um, if you have a lament, something you're lamenting or protesting this morning, something that's not quite right, 
in your life or something you see in the community that breaks your heart, and you want to bring that to your group, you can share that as well. After someone's done sharing, just thank them for sharing and then let the next person go. Um, I'll call you back together in just a moment. Those of you online, I'd love for y'all to share as well, and we'll, we'll check out what y'all are sharing in the comments. So let's do that now. I'll call you back together in just a moment. All right, if y'all want to take just a 30 seconds or so, start wrapping up, that would be great.
All right, if y'all want to start wrapping up, that'd be awesome. And bring your attention this way, that would be great. If you meet new folks, you're engaged in great conversation, y'all can kick, pick that up as soon as we're done with our service. I want to highlight just a few things that folks shared online just because since they're not able to be here, I want to make sure we speak out some of their gratitude and lament because not as many people are seeing this. Um, Lots of people are praying for Tanya. She's going to share the word today. So I'm excited to hear from Tanya this morning. Dan Adkins is grateful for his son's visit last week. Yep, that's awesome. And lamenting continued violence across our country. Thank you, Dan. We will... We'll try to never grow tired of, of lamenting the violence across our country because it just continues to plague us. Jamie Shire is grateful to be able to worship online with our Embrace family while we spend time away in Michigan this summer. Yeah, we're grateful you're able to worship online as well, Jamie. And this is a really cool blessing from figuring out that we can stream a service is that when people go on vacation or people are out of town for different things or sick, they can still stay connected with what's happening here. And I know it's not the same not being in person but connecting online is better than not connecting at all, I have to say. So um, we're going to keep doing this because I think it's pretty awesome. Um, Summer is praising for the ultra hot weather in Lexington that seems to be broken. I thought she was praising for the ultra hot weather. So I'm glad that that we're praising that it's breaking, at least for the next week. Yes, amen to that. And that soon we'll get to see my in-laws for the first time in three years. Yeah, that's great. I know that's been the case for a lot of folks with the pandemic. Um, Lament for the division and hardening of hearts to others' humanity across our nation. Amen. And that's something that we, as Christians, we have to fight that so much. It doesn't matter if there's someone out there you think is just the biggest enemy you could ever imagine. They are a human created in God's image, just like you are. And we've got to continue uh, to remind ourselves of that and continue to speak that to one another. So thank you, Summer, for reminding us of that this morning. Um, Jeremy Hankey is praising for having pastoral staff that is honest uh, rather than hypocritical. Thank you, Jeremy. We try to be. Um, we try not to be hypocrites. Um, protesting. I am sometimes, I have to admit, but um, protesting financial hardship in our community um, with too few options in our current political climate. Yeah, there's a lot of folks struggling. I'd say in the last couple of months, we've had more and more and more people than ever coming to our church, needing help with different things, stopping by, people calling, all sorts of things, and people are just really struggling right now. And it's sad that we can't come together as a community to really work together to, to make an impact and to have good policy and also good just options for people uh, to find help when they need it. Um, Scott Heiner is grateful for those challenging words from Isaiah that we read during that song. Um, I'm grateful for that also, and also grateful for his family's upcoming vacation. Yeah, that's awesome. Sonda is grateful to be here and saddened by all the horrors in the world. Amen to that, Sonda. Lots of good things. Thank you all so much for sharing uh, this morning in the comments, and thank you all for sharing here in person. Um, Just have a few quick things to mention. Um, In your pew, there are connect cards. Love when y'all fill these out. Um, If y'all need to get in touch with us over anything, this is a really good way to do that. Uh, We always read these, and they get to the right people. And so if you need to talk to me, if you have a prayer request, if you want to meet with someone, anything, um, put that on the card, and that'll get to the right spot. Also, um, there are giving envelopes in your pew. If you would like to give um, and support our church financially, then you can do that by putting 
donation there, and you can put it in the box over here or in the one by the door in the back, or you can give online. And I just want to thank you all for your continued support of our church. We can't do what we do without you. Uh, the church is the community. The church is the people, and y'all sustain this, and y'all help this ministry continue going and make it so that we can do a lot of awesome stuff. There's so many wonderful things that happen in this building each and every day of the week. If you don't believe me, just come up here during the week, and you'll see lots of activities, so many kids, so many different things happening, and, and it's because of your all's generosity. So thank you so much. Um, also, if you would like prayer, you can email prayer at embraceyourcity.com. You can also fill that out on the card here, and you can request prayer that way. Tanya Torp, uh, one of our pastors who's going to preach today, is in charge of our prayer team, and she leads that group, and they are faithful to pray. And people send out emergency requests, and she'll get them out, you know. Um, we got one just a couple of days ago. It's a couple of tragic situations, and we were able to bathe those in prayer, um, even in just like a couple of hours' notice. So thank you so much um, to the prayer team for lifting those up. And then I encourage you to read through the announcement handout. I just need to highlight a couple of things. First off, we need tech team volunteers. Our tech team are the folks who are in the back. So we have sound folks, we have video, um, and we have um, our live stream, different things that we do. And we just need people to sit back there and kind of be paying attention and help to run it. All the stuff you see on the screen here, someone's having to click buttons to make that happen. And so we need volunteers to help do that. Um, and so we probably need... Anywhere between two to six uh, new people to help. The more we have, the less often you have to do it. And so you don't have to be like awesome at technology. You're not having to figure out how to live stream. You just got to follow instructions, all right? And you got to pay attention. And that's all you got to do. Um, and so if anybody's willing to do that, you would serve basically about once a month at this point. Um, and you would just be in the back. You're still able to participate in the whole service. You just keep an eye on the tech stuff while we're doing everything else. Please talk to me if you're willing to do that, and I would love to talk with you more about how you can do that. And then finally, I want to mention that the Wonder Room is available for June and July this summer, but I'm going to go ahead and give you a heads up. Most of you all know this, but in August, we're not going to have the Wonder Room for our kids. We love for the kids to be in here. I know you all love the break, uh, the parents. Uh, so August, we've got to take time to recruit and train our volunteers and work on our curriculum for the fall. And so August is the time we're taking off but we're so glad we got to do it for June and July. And so just to let you know, we will have activities in the back for the kids, and it's okay if it's a little chaotic. We like it. It's a sign of life in our church, so don't, be, don't feel bad if your kids are making noise. Like, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, we all understand. And so with that being said, I'm going to stop talking, and I'm going to let our kids go up for their time of learning in the Wonder Room. I didn't forget this time, Jackie. And so let's give our kids a hand as they come up to the front and meet their leaders. If you are a child four years old all the way up through fifth grade, then you are welcome to go up to the Wonder Room for your own time of learning. Parents, if you're visiting this morning and your kids have never been up and you want to walk up with them, you're more than welcome to do that and introduce yourselves to the leaders. So we're going to sing a song before Tanya shares, and so I'm going to transition over here to my guitar, and we'll do that. So just give me one moment. This is one of my favorite hymns. A few weeks ago, I talked about 
I'm liking to think about my faith as a walk with Jesus, that I'm walking with Jesus on the path that he's laid out before me. And this song is, is really about, uh, about that. It's about how Jesus walks with us. He talks with us. And he reminds us of who we are and what our purpose is here in this world. And so um, a song called In the Garden. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice i hear falling on my ear the son of god discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known His voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing, and the melody that He gave to me within my heart is ringing, and He walks with me, and He talks with me. Tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known.
Amen. Just going to take a few moments to sit in, we don't call it uncomfortable silence here, <laughs> just to reflect on what God is moving in your heart right now. Just take a few moments. God, we thank you for the opportunity just to be in this space today and for those joining us online to just be together, the fellowship of the believers. And Lord, as we come to hear the word that you have for us today, I pray that you would ready our hearts and our minds for how we respond. Because God, we don't just come to church to hear a good word and go home and be the same. We come to be changed. So I pray, Lord, that, that you would show us how to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for those of you who don't know me, I am one of the associate pastors here. My name is Tanya Torp, and I, I always say how long I've been, been coming. Many of you know I don't even know how long I've been here. Um, but I love this community so much. Um, we were just talking in the back, I was talking to somebody about their prayers and laments and the things that they're lifting, and I just talked about how polarized we are, and I'll say a little bit more about that, but how polarized we are out there, but even when we come into this space, to be able to just admit that is refreshing, to be able to say it's hard, um, and so I love this community. Uh, if you've been following along with us for the past couple of months, we are on this journey to spending a year with Jesus. And we just want to study Jesus. And personally, I've been uplifted. I have felt connected to those who have come before us for generations and generations. And I've also been pretty convicted um, in the things that God is calling me to do and the ways that God is calling us to walk. And I've done a lot of looking at myself and at my own responses and seeking wisdom from the Holy Spirit to guide me and to change me. I want to be changed. And if you missed any of them, I would challenge you to go uh, look at our website and uh, check out those messages and catch up to us because it's been really incredible. We're going to start in Luke. We're going to talk about um, a parable that is pretty famous of uh, the Good Samaritan this morning. And we're going to read in Luke. You'll see it on the screen. I've got mine here. Some of you have your Bibles, so I'll give you a moment to get to it. Luke 10, verse 25 through 37. And behold... A lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he encountered robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by coincidence, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came up upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. And came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed compassion upon him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. And you don't have to be a churchgoer or somebody who's been in the church to understand the connotations of Good Samaritan. We have Good Samaritan Hospital right down the street from us. We um, hear this in our cultural lexicon when you hear about somebody who is being just a Good Samaritan. And we also have laws, even along Kentucky, on being a Good Samaritan. If you are helping somebody out in a crisis, maybe you're giving CPR to somebody in an emergency and you might crack their rib, this law helps to protect you because you're being a Good Samaritan. But I would argue that these examples pale in comparison to the original meaning and what was behind the text. So before we dive further into the story, we need a brief history of some of this context. So when Jesus chose to make the Samaritan the hero of the story, he was being incredibly provocative. Now you will notice when I said Samaritan and we read it together that nobody gasped. But I believe that there at the time there might have been some gasps. He was being completely provocative. Before there is history between the Samaritans and the Israelites, and let's move them into, these, into this space, there was incredible history between the Israelites and the Samaritans. And in the immortal words of Taylor Swift, it was bad blood, y'all. Real bad blood. I'm glad I got to laugh, because usually John talks about hip-hop, so I had to bring in Taylor Swift. <laughs> We're not going to turn to it right now, but in 2 Kings 17, we read about uh, this time in 17. 722 BC, where the king of Assyria captures the northern kingdom of Israel, Samaria. In short, the people of God are wildin'. Now, some of y'all follow me on social media, and you see where I say my children are wildin'. They're four and six, so if you don't follow me, then I will translate that word wildin'. They acting up. So the people were acting up, and God had sent all these prophets to talk to them, to try to change them, to get them to follow his ways and to repent. But they still insisted upon worshiping other gods and disobeying him at every single time that they could. So he finally removed his hand of protection. And the king of Assyria took nearly everyone into captivity, with the exception of the elderly and the very sick and those left to take care of them. And it's recorded that some 28,000 Israelites were taken into captivity. That's like 10 out of the 12 tribes of Israel just gone from that space. And enemies of the Israelites resettled into the area, started intermarrying with some of the Jews that were left behind, and those families began to not only worship God, but worship some other things as well. To the Jews, this meant that they were no longer purely Jewish, that they were not part of the Jewish race anymore. And at that point, folks started wilding again. So much so that God actually sent lions at one point to walk through their space and start just picking people off. It was a scene. So the king gives an order to have the Israelites bring in the priests and come back and show everybody how to worship God and to remember the ways of the Lord. But the people continue, what, y'all? 
wilding. They keep wilding. Um, so they create their own places of worship. They ignore all the ways that they've been taught to worship the true God. Meanwhile, in 600 BC, Judah, the, sword, the southern kingdom fell, and Jews were exiled from their land for 70 years. And when they were allowed to return and rebuild Jerusalem, the Samaritans were vehemently against them. When some Samaritans had a change of heart and came to help rebuild Jerusalem, the Jews called them, quote, half-breeds and sent them away. The Samaritans built their own temple, which the Jews considered pagan. They, they grew this huge, huge feud, and it just continued and continued. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and it was pretty uh, both-sided. Yeah, they both hated each other. So much so that they crossed the Jordan River whenever they traveled to Samaria, which meant that they were taking an extra 50 miles out of their way. I don't know if you have ever walked 50 miles to avoid someone, but I'm not the person who's doing that. Um, but they did. And there's also a story about the Samaritans desecrating the Jerusalem temple by scattering bones uh, during Passover, which was a big no-no. But as we study Jesus, we see him entering Samaria lots of times. So let's look at Luke 9, verse 51 through 56. Luke 9, 51 through 56. You'll see it on the screen. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him, and they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. I mean, calling down fire to rebuke them for not receiving you. That's a, a whole other level. But you also might remember the first Samaritan evangelist, who was a woman, the woman at the well, when he voiced, when he talked to her and she voiced to him, like, I don't even know why you're talking to me because I'm a woman and I'm a Samaritan woman and you're still talking to me. And he told her all about her life, um, offered her that living water, and they had what would be considered a countercultural exchange. And people were saved. So this is a long, long history. And Jesus was very deliberate in what he was doing when he shared this, this story. He was turning the paradigm upside down to make them question and interrogate the law and what it's saying to them and how they live it out. I also want to share the context in which Jesus is sharing this parable. Um, and it's not going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read a quote from a scholar. The location of the parable is the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. Jerusalem was known as the city of worship and its magnificent temple, while Jericho was the residence for many who included priests and Levites. Therefore, it was expected that priests and Levites would travel regularly to Jerusalem to perform their temple duties. So this is, they're going back and forth to perform these duties while they're walking on this road that we're talking about. The road was notorious for its robberies and became more dangerous when Herod left, and he laid off 40,000 construction workers from that place leaving plenty of unemployed people, some who turned to thievery. The distance between Jericho and Jerusalem was 17 miles, and the road cuts through desert and really rocky country, which is still a little rocky today, even with a paved road. The robbery of the lone stranger going down the road does not pose as a surprise to anyone who was hearing this story. So this is not a surprise to the people that are hearing it. Jesus knows that he is talking to an expert in Mosaic law, 
And when I think about this, it kind of rocks my mind when I let, let it kind of seep in. So here is somebody who is a human interpreting the word of God, who is the word of God standing in front of him. He's essentially this expert, but has not internalized this Jesus that's standing right before him. Jesus is making himself tangible and real out of love. The expert in the law is basically asking something that we might ask ourselves. How little can I do? How little can I love? What's the bare minimum? Who do I need to love in this way? And who can I not love in this way? Who can I ignore? And if we're honest with our busy days and our increasing sense of fear and dread in our society, perhaps we can find some commonalities there. Detachment while being a person of faith isn't abnormal. For some, this parable is one of the hard ones, and it kind of is for me too in some ways. And I'll admit that the Western church has not done a great job of staving off condemnation. Earlier I talked about conviction. There's a big difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is from Jesus, and it's leading you to expand your understanding, and condemnation is from the enemy, and leads you to guilt and shame and spiraling into apathy or frozen silence or even busyness just for optics. This parable has been used repeatedly to say that if you are helping everyone that comes into your path, you are not living out of your faith. For some, that has amounted to an almost robotic style of service where you're just working for the kingdom, but it's really and completely unhealthy and you have no real time to breathe. Every moment is devoted to doing good works to prove that you're worthy of the Lord and worthy of the faith. And that's not what it is. That's not what it's about. If you are experiencing or have experienced this, um, using the parable of a good Samaritan to make you feel guilty, I'm going to put you at ease right now because that's not this kind of sermon. That's not the message today. Faith and works are both important in our faith walk, and we've talked about that before. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, but faith without works is dead. The answer is that we need both, both of them. The answer is balance. The answer is the leading of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the most holy thing you can do is rest. Sometimes the most holy thing you can do is say no. That does not mean that we come to church once a week, pat ourselves on the back, and just go back to being the way that we were. Tangible service is a part of the Christian life, but our motivation should never be because we don't want to be condemned. So let's get back to the parable. So we're under Roman law at this time, waiting for the Messiah who's going to bring us freedom from the oppressors. Here enters Jesus, and he's walking around healing the sick, uplifting the broken and the poor and the oppressed, and anybody who's considered an outsider. He's inviting people into his mission, even women, and spending time teaching, not with a sword. The religious leaders at this time are finding it very hard to understand and accept that he could be the Messiah and believing that Jesus is trying to do what he's really trying to do. So we find Jesus in this situation often. Jesus is presumably teaching at a synagogue, and time is running out. We're getting closer and closer to that day when he's going to be on the cross, and there is such an urgency in this time. Another important thing to note is that it is not uncommon to argue in this tradition. It's usually intense debate in the synagogue, so Jesus wouldn't have been put off by somebody asking him questions. It's expected. It's an expected part of life. 
So um, we're going to look at Luke 10, 25 through 37 again, if you'll just put that back up on the screen. So here we are, we have this dying man with whom we have very little information, and I know that that is on purpose. And then you have the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan who are all there and able to intervene, right? The first person to pass by the half-dead victim is this priest. Tradition says that he might have been returning after performing duties at the a temple in Jerusalem. And priests were members of the, tree, the tribe of Levi, and we don't know why the priest has to pass by on the other side of the road, but we know that he does. We also know that there are possibilities. So some think that there was a genuine fear of robbers. We talked about that already. There was genuine fear, so maybe he just kept on thinking it was a trap. Somebody was going to jump out at him if he went over to him. Might have also been concerned with purity. There was these, these rules that they couldn't touch dead bodies unless they were actually their very close family members or else they would be considered unclean. So what would that mean? In doing his duties, he would have to go stand on the eastern gate with the unclean, stand among them, and then he would have to go through a whole process of purification again, which would cost a lot of time, some wages, and he'd also have to purchase an animal to sacrifice. So maybe that was his reason for not stopping. The next person to pass by was the Levite. Again, these were the descendants of the house of Levi and were part of the priestly community. So the same thing there, being unclean, might have been a reason why um, he didn't help. And then there's the, Samar the Samaritan that we've already talked about that history. Um, and I want to reiterate, using the Samaritan character as the hero was kind of, a, on a historical note, a bombshell to the audience. So I've been reading this uh, new released uh, First Nations ver version of the Bible, and I love how the authors refer to Jesus, creator sets free. The very idea that Jesus, the word, through which everything was created, came to set us free. Creator set free. When Jesus says, go and do the same, he is challenging the expert in the law and all of us into the future. He's looking at us and saying, love someone, love someone extravagantly. And he's also challenging us who are the followers of Jesus. He uses this enemy character to do far more for the, than the religious leaders think. Our examples of how we do it the right way to show love, to fulfill the law, are not what he's bringing up. We're never told the religion of the beaten man, but we are never told anything about where he's going, what he was doing. Would it have been different if Jesus had said this was a beaten man that was a Jew? Would, it, would he have responded differently? I think he would have. He might not have been able to touch him, but maybe he would have called some people over. We're never told um, what those circumstances are, but we do know that Creator Sets Free is attempting to show this expert in the law that he must have something in common with this hero of the story who happens to be his mortal enemy. He must break the barriers he has, he has had in his mind so that he can love like this hero character loves, which would have been so off-putting to stand there and think about that. We talk a lot about polarization, talked about that a little bit earlier in this climate, but historically there has always been polarization. This is nothing new. However, Jesus is reaching into the present and asking us in the room, here in this room together, to interrogate our own motives for how we love and in fact whether or not we are showing up as his followers. He's also setting the stage for something really interesting to think about the Gentiles 
being grafted in. He's setting the stage with the story by saying, this Samaritan is doing the work that I want you to do. So um, look at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 12. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Not just on Sundays, right? Not just on Saturdays. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he would give you a land with large and beautiful cities that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with, cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. You may recall that Moses stood before the Israelites and recited those Ten Commandments because they would not go up to the mountain to meet God face to face due to their fear. Moses was given those Ten Commandments, and the summing them up is the act toward God, a loving act of God is where we're summing them up here, and a God who needs nothing from us. God needs nothing from us. Those witnessing this would have known intently that, God is, that Jesus was hearkening back to those words. So there's a picture that should come up on the screen of a mezuzah, and there was a, this is a photo of one that looks kind of similar to one that was affixed to our door when we first moved in our house, and it contains the Ten Commandments as a reminder. Remember that part about putting it on your door? Literally keeping that at the forefront of your life and repeating it over and over again that this is what God would have of us. Here we are in this story with people who have been doing that for their lives, and yet here is Jesus standing in front of them telling them how to love and they're not quite sure they want to love in that way. Isaiah 58, which we read a little bit earlier, we'll read again. Isaiah 58, 6 through 11 says, Isn't this the fast I choose, to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the, to bring the poor and homeless into your house? to clothe the naked and when you see him and not to ignore your own flesh and blood, then, then your light will appear like the dawn and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time, when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, here I am. If you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing and the malicious speaking, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will be like noonday. The Lord will always lead you, satisfy you in a parched land and strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring whose water never runs dry. Sounds like living water, right? Sounds like life eternal. So here is a Samaritan doing what the religious folks are trained to do, brought up to do, yet they have gotten comfortable and no longer bother themselves with doing the will of the Lord. It has become an inconvenience. Matthew 25, 40 says, And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it for me, for one, the least of these brothers and sisters, mine, you did it for me. 
Romans 13, 8 through 9 says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in, the same, in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And again in Galatians 5, we see it. For the whole law is fulfilled in one, in the statement, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. This man was an expert in the law and yet did not know who his neighbor was. How can that be? We know how this is, right? Like, we know personally, individually, because we do it too. When someone asks about our faith, we might boldly proclaim that we're followers of the way of Christ, but do we allow that truth to change us? Sometimes. To change how we interact with the world? Sometimes. James 2.8 says, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. So he calls it the, loyal, the royal law. Again and again and again, we've seen in all of these scriptures how we're supposed to do it. But it takes community to remind us. It takes the Holy Spirit to guide us. And it takes our willingness to see that even our enemies who believe differently than us can love deeply. How can we love completely? How can we walk it out? Oscar Romero said, It is very easy to be servants of the world without disturbing the world a very spiritualized word, a word without any commitment to history, a word that can sound in any part of the world because it belongs to no part of the world. A word like that creates no problems, starts no conflicts. What starts conflicts and persecutions, what marks the genuine church is the word that burning like the word of the prophets proclaims and accuses, proclaims to the people God's wonders to be believed and venerated and accuses of sin those who oppose God's reign so that they may tear that sin out of their hearts, out of their societies, out of their laws, out of their structures that oppress, that imprison, that violate the right of God and humanity. This is the hard service of the word, but God's spirit goes with, with the prophet, with the preacher, for he is Christ who keeps on proclaiming his reign to the people for all time. This is what we're called to do. What Jesus is asking of this man is to be subversive, to be countercultural, to recognize his neighbor as everyone, to expand his own borders. He has been spiritualized into thinking he is the elite enough to be with God, yet the most simplistic truth is something that he's missing. So, what are you missing in your life? Where are you playing it safe? Are you doing good works that you're comfortable with? Or are you one of the people that would be the priest, the Levite? Or maybe you're the Samaritan, laying on the ground, hurting, broken, and waiting for someone to come and speak into your life. Are there places where we seek justice and mercy? Mercy over justice? Mercy for others? Over what we believe? or what I believe I deserve? Are there places that my obedience to him looks less like public good and more like genuine love? There's this saying, mercy over justice, obedience over sacrifice. In arguably his most famous work, Jesus and the Disinherited, Howard Thurman says this, it was long after a matter of serious moment 
that for decades we have studied the various peoples of the world and those who live as our neighbors as objects of missionary endeavor and enterprise without being at all willing to treat them either as brothers or as human beings. For me, some of the scariest words in the Bible are in 1 Samuel when he says that the Holy Spirit left Saul and he didn't even know it. It takes a lot to stay in a place of humility and learn from the Holy Spirit when to move, when not to move, how to love. But it also takes work to do the right part that often is in scripture about loving our neighbors. Some of us don't know what that means because as we're supposed to be loving our neighbors as ourselves, we are actually ourselves walking around with unhealed, gaping wounds. There is so much bitterness and self-loathing, so much sorrow that we do not love ourselves. Therefore, how can we love others? It takes work to cleanse from bitterness. It takes intention to submit your tender and broken heart before him. A heart that's tired of trauma, a heart tired of this world that isn't our home. Jesus knew it would be hard. He knew it would be countercultural in our own cities, in our own states, in our own homes. We see examples of hospitality and care for those who encounter Jesus, and we want it. We long for it, but we also compare ourselves to those who are doing it, and it sends us into the spiral of self-loathing and stuckness. That is not the love of, that God wants us to have for ourselves. I'm going to invite you to enter into a space that seems more prayerful, like as we prayed earlier today. Close your eyes if you feel comfortable, and I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Our idea of doing good deeds has to look different than the world. So I'm asking you, what is God inviting you into? Ask yourself, what is God inviting you into? What is he inviting those he's calling you to serve into? remembering that it's not about us, it's about him, what is he inviting those he's calling us to serve into? Is your service contributing to the gentle rhythm of life that God is calling us to or not? Is your service part of a continuing gentle rhythm, part of your life? And the last question I'll ask is, are you willing to be led? Are you willing to be led? You can open your eyes, Jen, if you can. So on a micro level, we should be asking ourselves, how can we do this if we can't even do this to our own families? If we can't live and love like the Samaritan to our own households, to the people that we love that are around us, to families that are torn apart by all of this th these things that we're talking about, this polarization. If we can't love them, how are we going to love like the Good Samaritan? And on a national level, how can we support missions and sharing the gospel in other countries that we continually oppress with policies? How do we do that? The degree of impossibility is here in this parable because it is the equivalent to go and sell everything you have, right? That's what this parable is pretty much saying. Go and do it. 
right? It calls it costs. There's a costliness to this. In those same lectures that I talked about earlier, Howard, Howard Thurman said this. Well, actually, let me back up. He was in this space where he was talking to somebody who'd been jailed during a war, and he was jailed because he wouldn't fight. And so this is the words that he shares. While there is a lower class, I am in it. While there is a cr the criminal element, I am of it. While there is a man in jail, I am not free. That is way too heavy, it feels like, for us to even think about the fact that we need to equate ourselves with others, that we are not higher than others, even with all of the things that we've been given, to remember that we are with, and we're called to be with others, that they are family, that we are neighbors. I will tell you how this challenged me when I was preparing for this. It challenged me a whole lot. I don't know if, if you can bring up the two pictures. I don't know if they're together. Okay, so some of you know this story. Um, one of our partners, the Lexington Rescue Mission, um, has been trying to find space, or had been trying in my neighborhood in the East End. And um, many of you know that I work with young single moms. The youngest mom is usually around the age of 12. The oldest is around 24. And so we get to work with these moms and walk alongside them and, and love them. And what we are all experiencing right now is a really hard times with affordable housing. But as John mentioned earlier, just lots of things are really hard for people right now. And if you follow me on social media, you know I get a little spicy sometimes. And I got a little spicy about this. Um, so not just in my neighborhood, but then another neighborhood um, that's down the street as well, this Lexington Rescue Mission tried to open up a space, a space where they could love on people who are unhomed or who are experiencing really hard times. And in my particular instance in the East End, um, some of us that are activists didn't find out about it um, until the last minute. And so we showed up and made statements and gathered as many people as we could to make a statement that we wanted this in our neighborhood, that we knew that would be affecting people in our neighborhood. Um, and we heard some of the most vile and horrific things that you could think other people would say about unhomed people, about people that are our neighbors, just spewing it. People who are saying that they're Christians, standing up and saying, I don't want this in my neighborhood, and here's why. And it was pretty horrible and demeaning. Uh, things that I would never say, things that many of you would never say about your own neighbor that you wouldn't want said about anyone. And for me, I think about these young moms. They're talking about my moms. They're talking about my neighbors. They're talking about my friends. And I got pretty angry, pretty upset. And then um, the next neighborhood, uh, the Lexington Rescue Mission was actually able to, to secure a place. And neighbors came out in droves and said even more vile things. People who admitted that they served on boards for nonprofits that were serving this population but didn't want it in their neighborhood and would say just the most horrible things. And I'll admit, um, I, I'm, I got real angry <laughs> um, and wanted to you know, storm the castle and do all the things. And the Lord was just really speaking to me while I was preparing this message. How am I going to love those people who were opposed? Right? Because I don't want to. I'll be honest with you. I want to be really angry with them. I think it's despicable. I think it's inhumane. But how do I love them? What are the ways in which God is calling me to love those people? Many of you know I've been writing this book for like three years that I'm, whew, three years, um, about radical hospitality. And I got stuck. That's why the book's not out yet, because um, in my neighborhood, we talk a lot about radical hospitality, inviting people in. And 
um, it started happening with this gentrification and all of my neighbors were forced out of the neighborhood and they are nowhere to be found now. Don't know where most of them are. And they can't afford to live here anymore. And so part of the ending of the book was like, well, now the neighborhood is so different. What does radical hospitality look like with these neighbors who have moved in? Some of them moved in to gentrify the neighborhood and some moved in not knowing the story. So how do I love them? And that's the call that I don't, I don't actually have an answer yet. Y'all, I'm, I'm walking this with you. I don't know how to love these folks. I don't know how to love folks who would stand up and say such horrible things about human beings in our community. But I am willing to submit myself to the Holy Spirit to figure it out. And that's where we need to be. I spoke about mercy and justice, and God brings the justice. He's asking me to bring the mercy. Creator Sets Free is calling us, us, to the kind of love that breaks down barriers and the kind of love that is so costly, the kind of love that is impossible without him. The question is, will we answer? In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So we're about to enter into a time of communion. And uh, those of you who are online, you need to grab something. We've got um, these little cups here. They're in the back, or maybe in the front, or some as well. If you didn't grab one, you need to get one. Um, the bread and the juice are there. But whatever you're going to use for bread and juice, this is the time to get it. When I think about communion, I think about how broken that I am in so many spaces in my life that I want God to fill up. And I think about how Jesus allowed his body to be broken so that I can be healed, so that you can be healed, so that we can all be healed. And I think about that night, what it cost him to to sit with the people that he loved most, knowing what was coming, knowing that his body would be broken for them, knowing that he would be betrayed even, and that in that space, he washed feet, he spoke love, he instructed. He was a rabbi, he was a teacher in that space. I think about what that must have cost him and think about the costly things he's asking of me that do not even compare. Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the cross. I thank you that, Jesus, that you rose from the dead, that you're sitting on the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. I thank you, God, for the opportunity to love the way you've called us to love. The costliness of that seems insurmountable sometimes. But I know that you left us a comforter. The Holy Spirit guides us if we let him. So as we take this bread and juice, that we would be reminded of the costliness of love, but also what's on the other side. Take and eat.
Now together, remember the blood that was shed. Take and drink. I invite you all to stand as we sing our closing song. I could just sit, I could just sit and wait for all your goodness, hope to feel your presence. I could just stay, I could just stay right where I am and hope to feel you, hope to feel something again. I could hold on, I could hold on to who I am and never let you change me from the inside. I could be safe, oh I could be safe here in your arms and never leave home, never let these walls down. But you have called me higher, you have called me deeper and I'll go where you will lead. You have called me higher, you have called me deeper, and I'll go where you will lead me, Lord, where you lead me. I could hold on. I could hold on to who I am and never let you change me from the inside. I could be safe. Oh, I could be safe here in your arms and never leave home. Never let these walls down. But you have called me higher. You have called me deeper. And I'll go where you will lead me, Lord. You have called me higher, you have called me deeper, and I'll go where you will lead me, Lord, where you lead me. I will be yours for all my life. And I will be yours, oh. I will be yours for all my life. And I will be yours, oh. I will be yours for all my life. So let your mercy. I will be yours, oh, I will be yours for all my life, so let your mercy light the path before me, cause you have called me higher, you have called me deeper, and I'll go where you will lead me, Lord, 
for being here this morning. Um, thank you, Tanya, for the challenging word, and also the encouraging word as well. I think when we're invited into this life of love of our neighbor that Jesus has invited us into, it's a life that brings joy and fulfillment like no other. And so I encourage you all this week to really ask what God may be speaking to you and how you may love those people that are the most difficult to love in your lives. And so prepare your hearts for the benediction. May the love of God the Father the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Go in God's peace.